Welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro. Hi, and welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro, and today we have a very special segment. Um, as you may know that um, our family became a family through the world of adoption, and today we're going to talk about all those great things and also challenges that comes with our yes. And today we have a great guest. Her name is Whitney Bunk- Bunker. <laughs> I hope I didn't butcher your name, your last name, but thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Denise. I'm, I'm really happy to be able to talk with you and, um, and just share a little bit of my story and hear from you too. Oh, thank you. So Whitney, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm 34, and I am a pastor's wife um, and a mom of two girls. I'm actually in the toddler and teenage phase right now, so wow. I have a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old. Um, both came to me through adoption, and um, we fostered in between that as well, and I'll share more stories about that, but um, it's motherhood has been a joy and it's also been um a a hard road um and both of those parallel train tracks of joy and sorrow have um shaped kind of who I am today and um I'm also the director of a nonprofit called City Without Orphans so I started in the social work field and that's really where my passion came for um, the foster and adoption community and then I felt God call my family to start our family through adoption. And so that's what we did um, about seven years ago. Wow. What, were you raised here in California or? I am a California girl all the way. That's awesome. <laughs> yep, I've been in California all my life. Um, I live in the Central Valley of California, but I was born in the Bay Area. That's awesome. Do you come from a big family or a small family? I actually come from a pretty big family on my mom's side. Um, and so I have lots of cousins, lots of aunties and uncles. Um, and we actually moved from the Bay Area when I was about five to the Central Valley of California to be with my extended family. My mom is half Mexican and um, my family is just very, very close extended wise. And she wanted me to be raised by family with family. And that was just such a gift that they gave me. Yeah, that is that is a huge gift to be around uh, close families. I I see a lot of I'm Mexican as well as you can see, <laughs> uh, but uh, we are not a big family. We're really small, and then um, my husband's side is also very big. But they just moved. Everybody's leaving California, so it's just us. Very few of us are still left. But yeah, I totally get that. And um, what about your hubby? Your husband? How did you guys yeah. meet? <laughs> we met my senior year of college, the summer going into my senior year of college, and my husband was a local youth pastor, and we had some mutual friends. He actually went to Point Loma Nazarene oh. in San Diego, and so uh, he went to school with some of my friends, and one day, one of my friends had the idea to set us up, and it was a secret. We literally just, it was like love at first sight. We met, we're like, okay. I'm done. I think we're in. Um, <laughs> so we dated eight months maybe and got engaged and then got married five months later. We'll be celebrating 
12 years in September of marriage. Wow. So, and he's a leader, um, a church plant in Fresno, and we're really enjoying just seeing um, our community just grow and in God and in serving each other. Wow. So you guys got married and then you started a full, both careers and ministry and, and all that. When did the, the thought of saying, well, maybe we're ready to become parents? Yeah. So before we even got married, we talked about adoption. Um, that was something that was on my heart ever since I was a teenager and my husband also. And so that was something we kind of established ahead of time. I don't think necessarily when we were dating, we thought we'd start our family through adoption, but we just were kind of like, we know we're going to adopt. Then um, I was in social work, working at a foster care agency, and my husband would come to like these events. We would do Christmas parties for the kids in foster care. Um, we did a couple of like Easter egg hunts, and he just so fell in love with the kids. And they would really flock him. A lot of them were fatherless or didn't have a lot of healthy father, father figures, and they would just be so drawn to him. And I remember just early on, I would say maybe two and a half years into our marriage, we started talking about why do we have to wait? Everyone's like, have your quote unquote own kids first and then adopt. And I'm like, what if adoption is our plan? A, we know there's kids out there that need families. We know we want to adopt. And quite frankly, we're both kind of taking off in our career and we weren't quite ready being young and taking off in a career for newborn. And so we were like, why don't we, you know, try adopting for foster care to start our family and so that's when we moved forward and um started our journey in foster adoption wow and did you because you were in you were a social worker did you have to do it through another agency another part of the county or um at the time when i had told my husband that i was ready and he was too we um, were not at the place where I was working at an actual foster care agency. Okay. So part of my story um, is that I got laid off from the job that I worked at um, as a case manager. And it was totally God one of the whole, like, you know, what seems like um, is just the end of the world ends up being where God kind of meets you in his purpose and plan. I um, had been feeling in my heart right before I got laid off that God was stirring me to kind of be a somehow a bridge or connection from the church community um, and our foster care system. There wasn't a lot of connections in our community with both. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up um, getting laid off. And that's when the ideas of kind of maybe I'm supposed to start my own ministry started. Mm -hmm. So when I was working, um, I was kind of doing something on the side and I wasn't working at, as a case manager. So I didn't have a conflict of interest. I didn't have to go um, anywhere else. I just went directly to the county um, as a family with my husband. So. Wow. So you threw, you went through the whole process. You know what you were getting, getting into, you know, the steps and was it still challenging for you? Even you knew what, it, what was going to take on the other, you were this time on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, the, we flipped the script, and now I was a family, not a social worker. It was really hard. Um, it was really hard for a couple reasons. I think one, because the reality is, is when it's in your own personal journey and not just somebody else you're walking alongside that is you're not in um, a personal relationship with, it's a client kind of based relationship. 
it is a lot harder to separate um, those things. And so I definitely feel like uh, it, it was harder emotionally for me than I think I originally thought it would be, and rightfully so. Um, the other part of it is knowing the system so well and knowing when people aren't doing their jobs right or when something isn't gotten done. Mm-hmm. That that was really hard and, and the desire to kind of micromanage. But in our story with our daughter, we ended up having to, to fight really to get placement of our daughter. Um, and... So the tools that I had gained in advocacy, God really used for me to work the chain of command within our system to say, hey, you know, um, this this needs to happen. Um, this is in the best interest of, of this child. Uh, and so I see how God kind of prepared me for that. So when all the paperwork was done, you had your first, your well, you already knew about your about your daughter and she was placed in your home. Um, want to share a little bit about that? Angelina? Angelina, yeah. Angelina, um, has a really unique story. So when we started our pride classes to be certified as, um, foster adoptive parents, we met with a group of other families who were also doing the same thing. And we, we sort of gravitated to this one foster parent there. She's a single woman in her 60s. She had never been married, didn't have any children, and was a former missionary and teacher. And we got to know her over the 10 weeks that we took our training uh, classes. And we found out she lived two blocks from us. Um, we found out that she was checking out our church because she knew that she wanted to foster only and that she wanted to, you know, bring people to church and that, you know, that she was fostering. And so we really just made a connection with her. And on the last day of class, you know, we exchanged numbers and we said, hey, if you need anything from us, we're only two blocks away. We're going to be waiting a while because you don't just get a call at two in the morning when you're waiting to be um, matched in adoption. Mm-hmm. It takes time. It's a process. And um, But with emergency foster care, you can get called all times of day. Mm-hmm. So it was something that we were prepared to say, hey, if you need respite, if you need anything, we're here. So she did call us about two months later, and she did get a placement of a little girl. And she was basically like, are you good on your word? We were like, yeah, of course we are. And so that began us, you know, she had a doctor's appointment. We would babysit, and we invited them over for dinner. We had some animals and pets, um, and the little girl really liked that. And we really just were supporting and loving on this foster mom as we kind of started our um, home assessment and home study process. Uh, And it happened to be that about three months after we met this little girl, the social worker for this little girl contacted our friend who was her foster parent and said, we want to know if you want to adopt. And the woman that's our friend said, I am not adopting. This is not my plan. I'm here to just be a temporary parent emergency placement uh, until a child can go either back to their home or um, to another home that can provide permanency. Mm-hmm. And so she said, but I know a family who wants to adopt and I bet you anything they will adopt her. So go ahead and call them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he ended up calling me and saying, I have something to tell you and don't be mad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no, what, what is this? And she said, I told the social worker that you and Daniel would adopt um, Angel. And 
I was like, what? She needed to be adopted? We didn't know. We, yeah. There wasn't any intentions and or um, agendas. We were just mm. being available. We didn't know she needed a forever family. She already knew us. We already knew her. And we thought, oh my God, like this is beautiful. If we mm. could be a family for her, we would love it. So we ended up saying yes. Mm. And it was not an easy journey. It actually took five months from the time the social worker said okay are you interested in taking placement to actually get her place um and it was a fight all the way um with the system um not for reunification's sake um but because of political and power struggles within the department um and unfortunately sometimes that happens in systems where people don't have um a child's best interest in mind but we were able to advocate and work that chain of command and and really help them understand why we're here and what our motives were and what we wanted to offer this child. And ultimately, the social worker of that child was able to decide who they were to go to, and she chose us. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like the how God placed everything. Like, you didn't even know. It was a natural thing, just being friendly, helping someone and and um are do you still have a relationship with the foster mom we do That's yeah great. we um she doesn't live in our city anymore but she does live in a different um part of the coast in the central coast and we see her um one or two times a year now but we do keep in touch um often That's very cool so how was it when she was how old was she when uh, she was placed in your home whitney five when she came to us we met her at four and a half so she came into our home two weeks before kindergarten started and I'll never forget being at the kindergarten orientation where I've just become the mother of this child and the kindergarten teacher is telling me all the things that I need to prepare for and I walk up to this lady after she's done her presentation and I literally just cry Mm -hmm. I remember (laughs) that like I just became mom two weeks ago. I don't know what I'm doing. She's going to kindergarten already. Mm-hmm. And this God sent an angel from above. And she just took my hand and she just said, we'll do this together. If she needs you to come in the classroom, you can come in. We'll figure it out. And to this day, we still talk to our kindergarten teacher. It's my daughter's favorite teacher. And Aww. she's right now. Um, and she was a blessing just knowing exactly how to engage with my daughter with the proper nurture and structure that would help her transition. So in in those moments, I bet there was like you share those moments. Like I remember um, my friends when our little one came to our home and they were like saying, so what does she like? How I go, I don't know. I don't know what she likes. Like what's her personality? I don't know. I'm still starting to like getting to know this child. I don't know. And I literally would cry because I was like, I don't know. I know I should know, but I really don't know anything at this moment because all those classes prepare you, but they don't until you have that child with you. Absolutely. You can have all the knowledge, but once you have the experience, it, it, it changes things. And, and just like you would learn if you got a newborn and you would learn their likes and dislikes and over time you build that bond and attachment, 
that's what we're trying to figure out and do with kids of all ages when we adopt from foster care or when we get placed with, in, with a foster child. Yeah. So when you were, when Angelina was placed in your home, was, did he close your licensing or did you still had it open for more children to come to your home? Yeah. So we originally had put our license on pause about a year after um, Angelina came into our home. We had finalized our adoption in seven months, which is actually really quick. Oh, that's awesome. Um, to get her in our home but when she was in our home it was smooth sailing to seven months finalization and you have to remember it's a minimum six months you can have children in your home before you can do adoption so mm-hmm. pretty quickly not the norm and we're thankful for that um i would say about mm, three months after our adoption finalization our daughter started asking um for us to have a biological child and we had always thought we would um adopt have a bio and then adopt again and have three that was kind of like our our plan Mm -hmm. and so we thought okay well we're at this place where everything's finalized and we feel like we're we start our family and so we might as well and that led us to a journey that we didn't know go on with um, infertility and reoccurring miscarriage so we hadn't tried to get pregnant before our adoption and post-adoption did not realize that I would have issues carrying pregnancies Mm -hmm. so we had multiple pregnancy losses and um it's interesting. You have to have like three consecutive in order to have insurance do sort of a evaluation on what's going on underlying. And so we got, I think, two about two into it, um, two two losses, and we got a call from the same foster parent um, that I spoke about before that had our daughter Angelina. And there was another little girl that we knew already um, that was in her home. And she had been reunified back to a relative. And this little girl, we'll call her Miss Kay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Kay went to the same school as our daughter. And because we were in relationship with the foster mom, who was our daughter's former foster mom, mm-hmm. we knew her pretty well. Um, and her relative decided that um, they couldn't keep her in the kinship placement. And so she was going to go back into the system. And the foster parent called us and said, I, I cannot take her. I'm only now doing short-term emergency placement. And likelihood is she'll need, you know, six months or more. So just want to let you know <laughs> that, like, just to inform you, hint, hint. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling my husband and being like, we have a conversation with Angel. Angelina was seven, seven at the time. Um, so she was a little bit older, um, and we just said, hey, this is a situation, what should we do? And she said, well, we've got to take her, Mom. Like, we have to. Like, she needs us. And we said, okay. So we we called the social worker and said, hey, we're, we're basically a, a non-extended relative, a mentor placement, um, and we'd let our license lapse, but um, we could get approved through um, that non-extended relative placement kind of quick emergency situation and the the social worker was thrilled um that we were willing to do that and so um this 10 year old miss k um came into our home so it was about 2015 um that we we did that and um she was with us for about six months and after that she went um back to her biological mom's 
um, home. And that, that was hard on all of our family. We know that that's the goal, um, reunification, and we weren't necessarily um, seeking out uh, adoption at that time. But um, it was something that was kind of bittersweet um, in, in the moment. Yeah. How was that for you, Whitney, um, going through the loss of, of, of multiple babies? So I'm so sorry that, that you had to go through that. How was that? Plus also giving a, ch- a child a chance and then also some way also losing that, losing that uh, Miss K. How was that for you? Yeah, 2015 was a rough year, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. And then that year I had three miscarriages and then we lost Kylie. And I remember there was uh, the same week I lost Kylie, I also had a miscarriage. Um, so it was heavy. It was heavy. And I, I remember deciding it was time to get into counseling. And so I did some therapy um, for grief and loss, and I was really glad I did that. I was in um, grief and loss counseling for nine months, um, and that really, really helped me um, process all of all of that. Um, it's such a such a unique situation, and I felt so thankful to be a mom already. But I also knew that my daughter really, really wanted a sibling, and I couldn't give that to her either way, um, whether it's a foster sibling or a biological sibling and at the time it was just not you know not happening and that was definitely a hard thing um and to watch my husband um go through that as a pastor who spends his life you know serving god and um serving people and then to see him you know question god just to be honest yeah. like why you know why why won't you allow my wife to experience this like we've done all this for you you know why won't you allow that and those are natural things um to go through and process when you're grieving um questioning god asking questions um and so we're real people with you know real hard stories and so as as ministry and as a pastoral couple we also have um those questions and grieve those things too yeah so that i'm i'm I think um, one of the important things is acknowledging it, not hiding from it, and seeking help. Mm-hmm. There are all those all those real emotions that come with with losing and but also gaining an understanding of it all, the human side that um, we're all part of. But it the story continues, you know, after you experience that. Um, how long, how long was that process until the second beautiful announcement? <laughs> yeah, it was three years. I think um, there was the time of the fostering and then there was the time of coming to the end of when am I, when am I ready for closure? It's really important. And even in my grief counseling that I didn't move on to adoption until the second adoption. The adoption was always, plan a and we knew we would do it again no matter what mm-hmm. but i needed that closure time so once i had that closure time um we got to that fifth miscarriage and i was like i can't physically or emotionally do wow. anymore yeah. and i felt the peace come like very quickly <laughs> like within two weeks of my last miscarriage and again you have to remember i had been in in counseling for nine months mm-hmm. um weekly counseling for nine months and i just felt that peace come and i remember waking up a couple weeks after my last loss and telling my husband I just feel in my heart of hearts that there is a baby out there for us already. Like God is quickening my heart. Like we need to start the process. 
and I had been through fostering and adopting older kids. I was in my, um, I was 30 mm -hmm. and I really wanted to experience a baby. And so, and a newborn. So I told my husband, let's do infant domestic adoption and let's see if there's a birth mom who, um, is brave and selfless and just feels like they, for whatever reason, cannot parent, um, but that they want to make an adoption plan with us. And so that became our journey to, uh, Sayla Grace. What did uh, Pastor Daniel say? Did he say, like, was he right for it? Or he was like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, good question. In the beginning, I think um, the very beginning, I think he was really ready to, to do an adoption. But I think there was a little part of him that was worried about the finances. Mm -hmm. And because private adoption is a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so we had to remind ourselves that God is provider and that we do have resources for grants and fundraising and saving on our own and that we're not doing this alone. And I think once we were able to really surrender that fear of like, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. How are we going to raise this kind of money? Um, that's when the peace really came. So I think there was the first discussion about, okay, well, what's the plan here financially? Cause we don't have $19,000 mm -hmm. just in our back pocket. Um, but once we really just, put that faith and trust and we did the hard work to look at all of our resources we we immediately were on the same page and it was a go that's awesome so I never done um that kind of adoption so how does it when when you get matched how does that is it similar to county adoption like do, the same process so the similarities are that a family is prepared to have a photo album okay. that you give. So in foster care adoption, you give a photo album to your social worker for the social workers to match you in a matching staffing. Um, okay. It's really important that they look at the child and see where um, you guys meet as far as the criteria that you're looking for, mm -hmm. but also the child and what they need. Mm -hmm. So in infant domestic adoption, you go through that process of getting prepared with your agency, but then you also have an album that's created. And instead of the social worker choosing who to match, the social worker uses that mm -hmm. album as a way to present to birth mothers or fathers, because sometimes birth fathers are involved, um, options for families that would be willing to parent their child. So that's kind of a different way of doing it. In one, the social worker is the one that um, does it. And in the other, it's the birth parents that choose. That's good. So when did you get matched with um, your your second babies um, when your her bio mom um, chose you as the family? What month was that? Was like a few months later, correct? It was actually six months from the day we went to our agency and wow. had her, um, assessment done for um, private adoption to the um, week we were chosen. That. That week we were chosen was so incredibly special to me because I had been praying um, for a while, for four years, 
um, on my birthday that God would answer my prayer and um, provide us with a baby. And it was two days before my birthday. Oh, my that I got gosh. From the social worker. Uh, and she said, a birth mom chose you guys and you're matched. And I just will never forget. It was the best birthday ever. And then <laughs> we... Our families didn't know, and we were like, we're going to go to a birthday dinner just a couple days from now. Let's surprise them. And mm-hmm. so we announced the dinner that um, they have a grandbaby coming um, through adoption, and they cried and oh, laughed. And it was just the most beautiful thing. We have a video of it, and um, it's fun to look back and just see um, all that God has done. That's awesome. And ha- and then a few months later, she was born or right away? Yeah. So that's an interesting process as well. Um, we thought she was due sooner than she actually was. So um, sometimes the accuracy of the pregnancy, if there's not good prenatal care or none at all, can be a little off. And so uh, what we thought was supposed to be February birth month, was actually March birth month. So we, but that gave us, um, it was a blessing in disguise, mm-hmm. even though it was a tad bit stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, moreover than anything else, having seven weeks to walk alongside our, our birth mom, get, getting to know her, um, going to her appointment. Yeah. Those are hours and hours that I cherish and that I plan as my daughter to get older and, and understands more, um, talk to her about, and we talked to her, she's three and we talked to her about adoption and we talked about her first mom. She's still trying to put all the pieces together, but, um, I know that her hair is just like her biological mom's hair and her love for makeup and things that, you know, um, make her tick. They, they come from her, and so I want to honor her in that way. Yeah, I think that's pretty neat, having those those weeks with her um, with her bio mom and ask all those questions. You know, I think I think our our adoption is close adoption, and then sometimes I just look at my daughter and I just think, I wonder if she does the same. I don't know. Sometimes I do think, or I have questions like, what does this mean? What does this personality trait? Did she go through the same thing? You know, a lot of unanswered questions, but that's pretty neat. You got to got to know her for seven weeks and build some um, relationship. But she, but uh, the baby was born. I sh- you know, it was a girl. You have, of all our listeners have been listening, she, her, and all those things. So it was a baby girl. Right. Yes. How was that? Did you know it was a baby girl? Was it a surprise? Yeah, um, when we were matched, we didn't know it was a baby girl. Um, we really actually were looking for a boy, but I also was open to the fact that some of the birth moms don't want to know the gender of the baby mm-hmm. um, because that, that's just a hard grieving process for them. And so we were encouraged by our agency to be open to both. So uh, when we were matched, we said yes without knowing the gender. Mm-hmm. Um, we did actually um, get the opportunity to get an ultrasound done and found out it was a girl before uh, the C-section um, date. But it was um, the most incredible feeling to be there and um, to have those little footprints um, on my shirt. And just the moment that I met her, so much of that 
pain um, of all those losses just washed away. <laughs> um, and that's my experience. I know that's not everybody's, um, but for me, um, that bond in that year, that first year with her was um, such a gift for me. Wow. I know for our listeners that um, don't have not yet um, known your story about the footprints, like um, Winnie, do you want to share how that happened? I think that was amazing reading your, your, on your social media, that little part was like, what a smart woman. Yes. We had the best nurses in the world at that hospital. So when we were in the C-section recovery room and they were doing all the stats on Sela, they had uh, the ink to do the footprint. And of course, you know, we rushed to the hospital, the hospital bag, trying to think of all things. And we didn't think about bringing some things with footprints on. And so the nurse was like, well, what are you going to do with it? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm just like emotional, frantic. And she looks at my shirt. I'm wearing a pink t-shirt because, you know, I'm having a girl. I'm wearing Mm -hmm. a pink t-shirt. And she said, this will do. And she just puts her little footprint (laughs) on my chest. And I immediately were like, just start crying. And my husband takes this photo. And it's the most precious photo. And I have this shirt. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it because I need to like memory box it or make it into an animal, stuffed animal, something like that because it's so precious. And that's the photo. Yeah. So put it in a picture frame, girl. Professionally picture frame. That was just beautiful. That's it's it's and yeah, like you said, that nurse, like amazing, brilliant. That was brilliant to do. So you had your baby girl, and did she come home a couple of days or or? Or right away? That was another um, just total favor and unexpected blessing is um, we were prepared to not be able to spend the night. Um, most of the time when you are a, a adoptive parent, you come visiting hours. And um, it, obviously our birth mom was being taken care of very well by the hospital and she was, was the patient. But we did not expect to stay. And before the nurse, the precious nurse, left her shift um, at 7 o'clock, she got a room ready for us to stay overnight. So we got to bond and do skin on skin and feed and bathe and sleep um, with our baby girl in the hospital. And we were there about 30 hours, not that long. Um, And then we were released. And that was another just, incredible God story because um, I to this day don't know any uh, families locally that have had the opportunity to do that. So I'm just thankful for um, the blessing of having that experience. That is a very beautiful, I'm thinking here as I'm listening to you, I was like, maybe that's, maybe that is also the difference between going through private through the county because People are still involved, but not too many people are involved. It can be more, um, you have that opportunity more to bond um, with your child and also more liberty because the parent would allow things to happen, the bio parent. Yes. So um, in voluntary adoption um, compared to involuntary adoption, you're absolutely right. So with um, private adoption, the birth parent or parent, they are making an adoption plan and it's a voluntary plan. And with CPS and foster care, oftentimes, unfortunately, um, children will become available for adoption because parental rights were terminated, and it's not um, voluntary. So, yes, the 
until the paperwork is signed and processed, the ultimately the rights are the birth parent or birth mom. Um, and then we we are allowed to, you know, take home and bond and, and all those things. But until that paperwork is signed and processed, um, she does, you know, have a say in those things. And so the blessing of her wanting us to be there, wanting us to be with um, Sayla, wanting that bond to happen um, was an incredible selfless um, thing. And um, I just respect her so much in her decision. And the process for adoption, uh, finalizing adoption for um, baby Sela, it was it was quick as well. Six months, yep. Wow. And uh, it was a fun time. She was six months old, so she was sitting up. We had her Thank on you. the desk. She was giggling at people and throwing her toys. And mm-hmm. we had um, both of our adoptions. We had a lot of people. We were a lot of friends, big church, big family. Um, so we packed out that courthouse and um such a special special time um in our family and you guys became a family of two then at three and then four how like how is how was that transition for all for all four of you yeah um I think for us it has its seasons of um being really hard and then also being um just just what we needed I think change is hard for for anyone um whether it's biological or adopted but I also think when you have the kind of combined um experience of having children who've had a lot of transiency um having different biological parents or systems or agencies um involved it's such a different dichotomy than just, you know, I get pregnant and I birth my child and there isn't all these other layers of people. And so I feel like that's kind of where things can get kind of complicated. And, um, and so we just, we just take it in strides and in years. And, um, but knowing that our attachment and our bond as a family is, is rooted in God and love for unconditional love for each other um, really kind of helps us get through all of those those waves of um, experiences and and people that come in and out. Yeah, I think one of the also one of the blessings for Cell is that she doesn't know any different. You were there since day one, mm-hmm. so I think that's that's a huge blessing and also made things easier for her in that area. I hope so. I mean, I, I hope that um, that is something that she can feel like she um, got to experience very uniquely. And at the same time, I also know that um, loss can go all the way back um, and trauma can all go all the way back in the womb. So I think I, I'm very cognizant that she had the blessing of being um, adopted so young. At the same time, I understand that um, that doesn't mean there's loss and trauma there. And so I'm hopeful that we can um, process it and just go on that journey together as a family. And I'm really glad she has her big sissy who um, also has the experience of being an adoptee. Mm -hmm. And they are almost 10 years apart, which is not what I originally envisioned. But I see now um, as sisters how um, close that they can be and 
what support they will be for each other as they grow in their journey and in their story. That's beautiful. Like now um, Angelina can have somebody to talk to that would know I understand you. Like I know what you mean. Both she has a little sister and then the little sister has a big sister. So yeah, that's, that's really good for both of the girls to have that understanding. How has it been for you, Winnie, that you are a professional and like, and you're the mom. Like, do you talk to your children like the professional? <laughs> I wonder, like, like I like talking to you. Was like, oh yeah, I thought that's right. And although they were, they feel that loss even in when they're infants. So, but how, how do you talk to them? When do you talk to them? I was like, like with that insight, or are you just mom? I think I go in different modes, to be honest. Like I, I wear different hats, and sometimes they cross over, and sometimes they separate. I'm a mom and I'm human and sometimes I um, get impatient, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't, I don't really think through uh, that trauma brain lens. And yet other times I'm thinking very intentionally about trauma in the brain or Mm self-regulation or different things that I've been taught through my schooling and through my profession. And, and I can kind of access those things and use them as tools. Um, But I do feel like for me, um, I feel grateful for the opportunity to have some some tools that um, I can experience myself with my kids and then help others. So I I know that many people look at me from, from the social work lens um, because I do have that um, experience, but I know a lot more moms that look um, through me and my experiences as, as adoptive mom. And so I'm thankful that people understand that I'm human and sometimes um, I'm good at kind of implementing those things and other times I'm, I'm not. Um, but I, I do feel like having those tools has, has been an advantage just to be able to talk to my kids about things, especially the older um, my kids get. Um, I think it's really important that we discuss with our kids um, just through all the research that I've learned and the adoptees that I've talked to about their story. And uh, my daughter, who's in junior higher, and she knows 100% of your story, her story. She It's her story, and she's in junior high. She's old enough to know it. And so we have conversations, and she knows she can ask anything. Um, and I think there's an advantage of having those tools, I guess you could say. And, and I do – I am thankful – that I have the opportunity um, to be equipped that way, but it makes me more passionate to equip other moms and other families so that they're informed about these things too. Oh my goodness. When you were doing all this transition and all these learnings and becoming a mom once and then twice, how did you do the pastoring one, but the nonprofit, how in the world did you do all that? I mean, I just started this podcast thing and then COVID started. I go, how am I, how am I going to do all this? How do you do it, Winnie? Or how did he do um, it too? You take it as it comes. You, you take it in the seasons and sometimes you have to go full force and sometimes you have to pull back. And so um, you know, City Style Orphans is a little over nine years old, and there's times where it's been really small and just me, and I didn't have any help, to when I um, we adopted, I went on um, a leave, right, for a little while from adoption, 
then came back. Um, same thing with sales adoption. I went on a maternity leave. Um, we hired people <laughs> so mm -hmm. I could help me. And then I came back. And so we've had the opportunity to build a team, uh, which really helps when you have the uh, ability to delegate and not just do it all um, yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's been my saving grace is, is my team, is my staff, is volunteers and people in the community that have said, this is your vision, but this is our work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is our vision too. So that's been helpful. I think with the church um, in the past five, five to seven years, we've been at two different churches. And so that, that 2015, when I had mentioned before, was a hard year. Um, we moved from uh, a, a pretty large church to a church plant, which we love um, so much. But it was a transition. It was, it was hard. Mm -hmm. And um, just being really intentional with each other um, and just carving out that time for, for self-care, for, for soul care, and having to say no, having boundaries. And there were seasons where I did a really bad job of that, um, and I burned myself out just quite honestly. And then there's seasons as of more recently, like in the last uh, uh, year and a half, where I've really been able to be better about having um, good boundaries and saying no and knowing when I need to pull back and knowing when I need to push forward. So it's been a, a lesson learned, I guess you could say, yeah. a journey uh, to, to balance that. And, and to have jobs where both you and your husband, there's really no off like time like a pastor doesn't clock in and clock out um and neither really does a ceo of a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um although i try to be better about you know having my sabbath time and and all of that so it's it's a unique um journey yeah tell me a little tell us a little bit about um city without uh city without orphans i was reading i went on your website i i read a lot you guys do a lot of stuff like there's not one thing that you guys are missing now you want to tell us a little bit about that Winnie yeah sure so um the vision of City Without Orphans was was birthed um in 2010 after I was laid off from my social work job and really even before then my heart stirring to see a bridge between our local foster care system our churches and our local businesses we kind of have that three-legged stool of faith-based government and business sector who really can do a lot to help the foster care and adoption community, but weren't connected. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I was kind of in this think tank of someone should do something about that. And then God pushed me <laughs> out of my other job into uh, the vision for Cities Without Orphans. And it really started, Daniel and I, Daniel and I are co-founder, even though he um, he's a pastor and he has a full-time job, he definitely supports me in my ministry and I support him in his. And he and I just really wanted to start by uh, educating families about foster care and adoption. We just had heard a statistic that one in three families contemplate foster care or adoption in the church community, but only 2% take action to do anything about it. Yeah. And we thought, wow, that's, that's a lot of people, um, but very few taking action. What are the barriers there? So we did some assessments interviews, talked to some people, and we realized that um, there was a lot of misinformation, a lot of people not understanding, thinking that all adoptions were expensive, when you and I know that foster care and adoption is practically free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a, um, a misnomer. And so we definitely were 
excited to do some myth busting. We also realized that people were really overwhelmed when they thought of how do I search on Google for mm-hmm. foster care adoption agencies or what is foster care, what is adoption? You get hundreds of different answers and what's reliable and what's not. And that got us inspired to be like, okay, well, we are going to start a class. We're going to start a workshop that we teach. And that's when we created Fostering and Adoption 101. Mm -hmm. So we knew that the first thing we wanted to do at Save Without Orphans was um, inform families who were considering foster care and adoption. And so this is a three-hour workshop we created. It's a 47-page workbook. And we have a PowerPoint presentation. We show videos, testimonies. And in the very um, end, we have agencies that place kids and families, foster care and adoption agencies come and they booth um, in our event and they come and share, answer questions. And we just kind of, it's like a pre-orientation. We equip families to go on and um, start the process. And as of this month, so on Saturday, we'll have done our 76th um, workshop wow that's amazing so that's kind of where it all started but you and I know Denise that not everybody's called to foster and adopt they're just not Um, but we are all called to care for the orphan and for the vulnerable and for the foster um, child in some way so that is why we created the mobilization piece of our organization where we basically function as this liaison between social workers, agencies, foster youth, and churches and businesses. There's a lot of tangible needs out there um, that families and youth have, whether that be um, housing or clothing or toiletries, gift cards, I mean, bedding, you Mm -hmm. can name it for it. Mm -hmm. And so we relay those needs back to churches and businesses so we do drives for kids in foster care. We created an online website that's kind of a think of Craigslist for foster adoptive community where you can post needs and donations and cross refer to um, get items for that population. So we really do a lot of um, connecting and mobilizing um, to meet those tangible needs. Wow. And has I'm pretty sure there's been a lot of success stories as because City Without Orphans, are, they were able to make forever families. Yes. Um, and that's been the blessing, I think, that really pushes us to do the hard work as a staff and as a team. Um, it's, it's hard work, you know. Um, we have to fundraise for everything, and we're working crazy hours, and um, we're also coming along, alongside and helping coach and advocate for um, these youth and families. Uh, and... So it can be it can be overwhelming, but when we hear the success stories, whether that's the successful unification of a foster family that we um, who started at our workshop or a family who finalized an adoption, it it makes it all worth um, all of the hard work just to know um, that the trajectory of lives are being changed um, and children are finding themselves um, secure in families. So. It's definitely worth it and what keeps us going. Um, we also really are passionate about supporting supporting families after they foster and adopt. So it's not enough for us to be like, okay, here's the information. Now, good luck. <laughs> we'll get back, you know, in a few years. No, we've got to have support systems 
um, for families who are experiencing trauma, who are experiencing um, transitions, who don't have support maybe that some families do. And so our org has a whole post-placement support um, portion of our organization where we offer, excuse me, offer parenting classes, trauma-informed parenting classes, support groups, um, respite care nights. We do free babysitting, and all of our families in COVID right now are missing all of that. But we so offer much <laughs> free babysitting nights, date nights, um, and just provide that extra training and and coaching as parents. My goodness, I and I, I. It's also nice to see how your nonprofit works so well with um, your county. You, it's a good resources that when the county, uh, you know, if I would go to, if I'm part of your county, and then it will be a great resource. Resource a city without orphans would be something that I yes. would totally benefit from. <clears throat> yeah, we're thankful for the partnerships and we're thankful for the expansion. We're we're both um, in Fresno County and Tulare County um, in the Central Valley of California. So we're working with two two counties right now primarily and. Um, it's been a great partnership and I think we have more and more people that are finding out about our resources, but we have a lot more, um, a lot more work to do and a lot more people to inform about um, the support and the um, training and resources we have. That's amazing. So Winnie, as we, as we come almost to a close, how do you replenish your hope and what can you um, encourage our listeners um, to things, the people who, are like want to go through this journey, want to get on board or the people that can support us. So how do you replenish your hope? How would you encourage the person who thinks, Oh, I, I think I want to do this. And also to the parent who is already in this book, in this boat. Yeah. So I think, as I mentioned before, over the last year and a half, I really, really come to understand that rest is important um, and that everyone is different in what rest looks like for them and what they're depleted in. And so I really learned more about myself um, through a book that I really love that I'd like to recommend called um, Sacred Rest. And Dr. Dalton um, is a Christian um, MD and she's also someone who's super passionate about um, the idea of rest. And I have found that where I'm most depleted, whether that be emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, there's all forms of rest, sensory, is where I really need to, to pull back um, and get that um, time, me time, or um, pause on maybe being um, so available um, to people because I'm constantly being asked to give, 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 and find outlets to pour into myself. And so whether that be um, artistic outlets, whether that be reading, um, hiking, um, all those types of things, what fills my cup, I can't pour out what I don't have. And so I'm learning that that gives me hope. When I, when I can rest in God and, and really um, give myself the space to refill, um, I keep that hope um, stable. And when I really run myself down um, to depletion, then um, it's harder to, to find that hope as, as, um, as easily. 
so um, that that's the, the main thing for me. For for those who are interested in in fostering and adoption, or like um, where you know where do you start? What do you do? Uh, my recommendations really are to um, interview a couple different agencies. I always tell families, um, don't just go with the agency that your friends went to um, just because the Joneses, quote unquote, went to that agency doesn't mean they'll be a good fit for you. Um, interview a couple different agencies, go to two orientations, maybe call three agencies, get information about their agency, ask them, don't be afraid to ask them questions about, um, you know, how long they've been around, what types of services they provide, what is their values, um, and really do your due diligence because that is key. The agency you work for, whether it's an FFA, which is a foster family agency, or the county, um, you're going to have different experiences. They're not all alike, and you have to see what fits for your family particularly. So do your research um, and just just make sure your um, expectations are unchecked. I think that could be really hard, mm-hmm. um, both with the process and also with um, your, your kids. So we often have the expectations the process will go smoothly or fast or whatnot, and it, it doesn't always. So having realistic expectations of that. And then your kids, um, just knowing that they don't, they aren't all, always happy um, at, at the beginning to be with you. Um, and it's not about rescuing a child, mm. um, quote unquote. It's, it's about providing stability and family um, to a child who, who needs it. And it's about what you can offer um, them, not what they can, can offer you. And so I think um, that's just kind of my uh, suggestions. If you're very, very on that beginning contemplating stage, um, just thinking about all those things. Um, and then if you're not, there are many ways that you can help without fostering and adopting. You become a cost advocate and mentor for kids in the court um, court level. You get sworn in. You volunteer about 10 hours a month. You get paired with a um, foster youth and you advocate on their case. Um, you can bring a meal. You can do a meal train. If, if there's a woman in your church or there's a family in your church that's fostering and they get a placement, like you would bring Susie who had a baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> bring them a meal. They need meal. They're, they've got, you know, new bodies in the home that they're trying to figure out. And sometimes figuring out a meal is just stressful. Mm-hmm. So bring a meal, uh, write encouragement cards, you know, reach out and, and text or message, Facebook message the foster adoptive mom and, and tell me, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. Um, those little, the little things is really what means the most. Um, it's, it's not the grandiose. Yes, you can help fund an adoption financially. And, and yes, you can, um, you know, provide a, a, a gift to a family, um, a toy or a gift card to a family who's fostering or adopting. But in the end, it's those who continue to check in consistently, to reach out, to offer support. Um, emotionally, spiritually, um, relationally, that um, those are, I think, the things that impact us foster adoptive um, parents the most. And lastly, I, I really want to take all the, in the in a healthy way, <laughs> uh, I would, what can we encourage our listener, our mom or our dad or our family that are in this? How would we encourage them? Ms. Whitney? I would say to you, if you're in the thick of it, this, um, build your community. Mm-hmm. And this, this journey was not meant to, to, to be done alone. And it doesn't matter if you have a social work background like me or if you don't. 
we are designed to be in community together. And especially if you're fostering and adopting, you need, you know, your church family, you need friends, you need, you know, your family. And I know everyone's in different situations where they have those things or not, but there's even virtual um, Facebook groups that are support groups. Um, there's retreats, um, there's parent coaching. Um, and so there is things that are accessible to you. Don't go at it alone. Reach out for help. And um, and both Denise and I, we have those resources. So you can follow up with us and we'll get you connected. Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your heart and your journey and your continuous journey as you're doing all these things. And I bless um, your hubby and your children and your home and whatever Whatever, whatever next adventure you take, Whitney, I'm back here. I cheer you on. And thank you so much for your time. I just, I know how valuable it is. And so I'm really honored and hum humbled to have you here today. So thank you, Whitney. Thank you, Denise. It was my pleasure. Well, thank you uh, to all our listeners. Please, you know, listen, listen to wisdom and, and please, 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 if you need to rest, to, you know, please rest. If you need to find hope and replenishment, please do that for yourself. And please remember that hope is for everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Replenish Hope. If you want to get daily doses of hope, please subscribe and share the hope with others. And remember, hope is for everyone. <laughs>